All right, America, I am talking to you this time. Because if, uh, yeah, you, especially the silent majority, uh, the reason why we're getting to a place where we are now is because you're being silent. Uh, you can sit there and complain all you want about all this stuff you don't like, but if you're not going to start getting involved, start paying attention to what's going on, uh, it, your freedoms are going to be gone. This country that uh, people came here to free themselves from oppression, from kings, and a one dictatorish control that every country in this world has tried. We tried something different. Right here in my hands, I know you can't see it, but I'm holding the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America, a copy of it. And we need to start teaching this in our schools. We're losing generation after generation because we won't stand up and do the hard things because freedom is hard. And if we want to take the easy way out, you're going to lose it. Now, I'm going to piece together some stories that hopefully will make some sense and start piecing all the pieces of the puzzle together so you can see the bigger picture of what's going on and get you informed and hopefully get you at least curious about finding you can go look at all this stuff yourself i know people are busy but we need to start paying attention and if all of us don't people that are trying to be more in the middle uh not stuck to one party or the other you just want good ideas then we need to start listening to what's going on Open in your eyes, and let's start fighting back, because if not, you have nothing to complain about when your freedoms are gone, and it's not going to be a virus that's going to do it. It's going to be our own laziness or just downright ignorance of wanting to know what's going on. So when we come right back, I'm going to start putting stories together and explain to you why this is still the best country in the world, still why it is worth fighting for, and hopefully inspire some people to wake up. Okay, so I'm going to start out by asking a question. What do you think of America right now? Are you just fine? Do you feel like maybe we're heading in the wrong direction? There's a lot of people that don't. A lot of people are just uh, following in line, uh, taking the easy way. Whatever the government tells them to do, uh, whatever the government wants to give them, to just keep them going along in the path they're on, and they don't have to work hard to do it. And you'll basically turn yourselves into slaves because it's how it always happens with every government. Now, now you might be thinking, oh, it'll never happen here. It'll never happen here. And that's been the, the ongoing mantra for decades now. And the left and the progressives play the long game. It makes it a lot harder to tie stuff together. If they just did all this stuff in four years when they've got a president in there that'll do whatever they want, 
people start, hey, wait a minute, that you just did this and that and then this and then that. And they start, it's easier to piece the stuff together. But now it's turning into a global thing, I think. So, realistically, I mean, we can look at other countries right now. This, this COVID thing has been a gift. Because they've been able to condition and train people that if you don't do what we're telling you to do, you're going to die. That's been the fear-mongering since it started. And then all the misinformation or disinformation or whatever you want to call it coming out from all these people that are supposedly, uh, air quotes, experts. That all the news media were telling you we have to listen to the air quotes experts that have been changing their mind every other week, depending on which way the political winds blow. Because like I said in the first part, freedom is hard. It's a constant battle to keep freedom. And when freedoms are taken, they don't come back. Because there's no political will to give you any of your God-given rights back to you. Once the government, the people that in their minds think they're smarter than you. They know how to spend your money better than you do. So we need to raise taxes to pay for this program we came up with, which basically is their scheme to buy votes. And that seems to me to be the problem with our government as it sits now is that Congress, yeah, those people that are supposed to be our representatives of our states, they all decided once upon a time that, oh, you know what, we can't have a president doing more than two terms because that that much power for too long, you know, it's just, it's going to be corrupting. Well, the same can go for Congress. Some of those people have been in there Decades, 20 plus years. Now, if you want to say, oh, well, they've done this or they've done that for our state. They've really done a lot of great things. Uh, you're just blindly voting party line. I mean, that's, that's basically what it comes down to, Republican or Democrat. We don't have enough. I mean, this is this has turned into a scam, basically. I mean, just think about uh, once upon a time, there actually used to be a few different parties. But the two big parties decided that it was easy to squeeze out the little guys by basically making it impossible for them to get into office. I mean, realistically, even the in the even the independents, you know, like the Bernie Sanders, I think there's only like two or three of those guys. Or women, I don't know who they are for sure. That are even in Congress at all. The rest are either Democrat or Republican. The people that have been there, like the Mitch McConnells. And you can say, oh, well, he's done this, he's done that. And he stopped this or he stopped that bad bill. But it's like, if you knew all the dirty stuff that goes on in Congress... You probably wouldn't like those people either. We need to get more people to start coming to the middle. 
not just I'm on the right or I'm on the left. We need people to come to the middle because that's where the better ideas come from. They either are bad ideas to the right or they're bad ideas to the left. Now, right now with COVID, uh, you know that country down south, you know, towards the other side of the equator, I think they're called Australia. So, you know, those people at one time used to be free, but their government at one time decided that, you know, there's too much crime going on. We're going to take away all your guns. And they basically said, you have to turn them in or we will forcefully come take them from you. And, you know, the penalties and all that fun stuff that come along with that when you go against what the government says is you're in your best interest. Uh, a lot of those people learned out the hard way and are learning the hard way now with COVID because Australia is going into lockdown over this uh, new Delta variant and have actually deployed military to enforce these rules. Uh, locking you down, I don't know what the status is of as of now this is i think a week or so ago but that's that's what will happen here and i mean maybe a lot of people are fine with that it's like oh they're just keeping us safe but the truths of it are a different story and we've started to find out you know now that more information is getting out there and you don't have big tech, the state ran big tech doing whatever the government tells them to. Oh, we got to fight disinformation. So they, because, uh, air quotes, they're a private company. They can do what they want, right? I mean, that's what we've been hearing. So with that, whatever they deem is, uh, disinformation, you get banned or you get, uh, demonetized or whatever they decide your penalty is for uh, being a big tech disinformationist or whatever they want to call you. So a lot of people start self-censoring. And so then you get down to, okay, so what realistically, why do we have a First Amendment and freedom of speech? Because we've seen in the news, I mean, you've basically got, and in my opinion, the way I'm starting to see it is you've got Democrat-ran media, and then you've got a couple other major networks on the other side, Fox, Newsmax, you know, some of those, and some of those are like to the far right. So they're spewing far right stuff. All the other major networks are spewing far left stuff. And saying some really crazy things. So, uh, if you want to look at it as far as this won't ever happen here, there was a Joe Rogan episode, I think it was 1691, if you want to watch this, I actually encourage you to watch it or listen to it. The lady's name was, I think it, I'm probably going to slaughter how it said, Yonmi Park. She escaped North Korea as a teen, like 13 or 14-ish. And she describes what it was like in North Korea. And this has only been, 
10, 10 years or so ago. Hasn't been a long time ago. She basically, so basically how she describes it is the, the general population of people there, they don't get education, they don't get, they don't get food. The state, air quotes, the state owns everything. They own the land, they own homes, they own uh, food. And she was explaining that if you are a male and you happen to be over four foot ten at some period in your life, because most of them end up being short because they're malnutritioned, that you go, you're pulled from your family or wherever you're at, and you go to the military because you're actually, you know, someone they can build up and you know look like a strong person. Yeah, I mean, four foot ten. So if you're a friend of the the government, let's just we'll just call them the government because that's kind of what it comes down to. You get one channel of government propaganda if you're lucky enough to even have a TV. So she said that she was uh, her father was arrested at one point or another. It's like you can't you can't do anything. You can't you can't raise your own food. You can't grow a farm. You can't do any of that stuff. It all belongs to the government. So you basically have to scrounge for food. And uh, families had to collect poop because they had no kind of like fertilizing stuff. So a year's worth, you had to collect like 2,000 pounds, like a ton of poop to turn into the government so they could use it for fertilizer in crops and different things. That was your life as a North Korean. Uh, most people were just living long enough to die. They had, uh, she said that somebody would die and the rats would be eating the dead person and the kids would run around and catch the rats, eat the rats because they were starving and get sick from the rats and then die anyways. So they they basically keep the people they think are going to be useful to put them in the military, you know, keep them healthy and then, you know, fish them propaganda, you know, through the military and all that stuff. You don't say anything. She said they even have to keep pictures in their homes of the I don't remember which family member it was might be Kim it might be his father as well or whoever it had to be in a certain place in the house and then their squads could come in at any time and inspect your place make sure you had up this picture of the leader and if it had dust on it it's punishable by jail or death whatever they decide is your punishment if the picture is dusty Is that what we want for this country? Just to have the government tell you everything you can or can't do? So I'd say I'm paraphrasing what she kind of was telling about what life was like. I mean, she was actually lucky to escape. They had to hike through, I think, the mountains into like Mongolia or someplace. And then somehow got into China and had to do a bunch of things, you know, for a few years there. And was finally able to get into South Korea. 
they don't educate their people because they don't want them knowing what's going on in the rest of the world. They don't want them to know what freedom is. Because then what happens? You're going to go against the government and say, hey, you know, we can we can do this. We have the, the God-given rights to do these things, to own our own place, our own land, grow our own food, open up our own business. North Korea ain't like that. In fact, you decide you want to be smart and do that stuff, you will be gone, dead. They can't have that. Because you're going against the powers to be. She said that she didn't even know there was a, the rest of the world. When she finally got to America and they were teaching her in schools and stuff, you know, all this information that she'd never heard of before in her life. At like the age 18, 17, 18, somewhere in there. She had no idea there was the rest of the world out there. When they were leaving the country, escaping through the mountains into Mongolia, they had no idea or she at least had no idea where she was at. And it was so much information as they were trying to teach her uh, history and reading and writing and, you know, all that stuff. She said, I just wanted it to stop. It was too much information. Because they don't want their people knowing anything. That's kind of why I feel like the the government and the teachers unions and stuff are kind of in a battle to dumb people down instead of actually, you know, they'll say one thing, but actually if you watch what they do, I mean, we're with this COVID stuff and most of these kids being out of school for as long as they have been or zoom media and they'll kind of do the zoom schooling. They've lost a lot of information. Uh, but you know, the teachers unions back East, they're not, they're not quite as bad in, more conservative or Republican states because for the most part, Republican states have done mitigation measures, you know, and kind of got kids back in school, at least to the minimum. But they're talking like they just want to lock down again. And, you know, they don't want to go back to teaching in person because they might get sick. Even though all them people are the same ones that are getting the vaccine, which is, you know, from the Democrat side, it's supposed to be safe and it's supposed to protect you from the virus. Although now that it's, you know, more information's coming out again, it supposedly doesn't do that. <laughs> so, you know, and they're, and they're wondering why so many people are starting to distrust them. So I think the problem is now that we got to start standing up finding out what's going on, teaching our kids what the real history of the world and America is, to stand up for America and that dream, the American dream, the real American dream, the truth about slavery, all those things we keep hearing, you know, if the white supremacists now are our biggest threat to this country. And all this stuff is coming from... Unfortunately, the Democrat Party. Now, the only thing I can figure is there's a couple other things going on. 
that there is uh, our corporations have basically moved everything to China. Everything gets manufactured in China, and then they sell us their crap right back to us and are making record profits. But we have another thing that is the, oh, what is it? The uh, World Economic Forum. I've told you about this one before. Their big mantra is, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. And the UN is backing this and it's the Great Reset. So there, here's, an, here's an article in the New American about it that I'm going to read you here. So it if you kind of hear these things, you'll kind of fit, try and figure out because their their plan at the economic forum is in nine or ten years of basically nobody owning their own properties, their own houses, all that stuff. Now that might sound all fine and dandy. Oh, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have to pay rent. Uh, you know, especially with this moratorium thing that they're doing or whatever. So the people that can't afford uh, their mortgage anymore. Uh, BlackRock and a couple other great big uh, corporations, I don't remember, there's a couple of them, are buying up actually full-on communities. So, like I say, I I can't just outright say they're doing something mischievous, but it starts to come into line with a lot of this other stuff that these people openly talk about. So let's just go into it. In the not-too-distant future, you will own absolutely nothing, but you will like it and be happy. According to the totalitarians and deep-state globalists pushing what they call the Great Reset, you will also have no privacy, they say. And yet somehow the advocates of this feudalistic vision, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, and more, have decreed that you'll be happy. Even leftists are freaking out now. This nightmarish description of the future envisioned under the Great Reset is no exaggeration. In fact, in a propaganda video posted on the World Economic Forum's social media accounts, the powerful globalist organization uses exactly those words in pushing the Great Reset. The video offers what it describes as eight predictions for the world in 2030. The very first statement declares, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. It claims these predictions are based on input from members of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Councils. Now, if you go to their website, the actual World Economic Forum, you can dig around through there. And that's what these elitist think tank people think and is what they're pushing. Not just in foreign countries and not just here in America. It's for the world. It's called the World Economic Forum. This is where those ESG scores come into play. And the corporations are falling right in line because they seek to make the most beneficial, they seek to be the benefactors of all the economics of it. Part of the plan is to crush uh, pretty much most of all the middle class uh, small businesses because there's only, you know, the big corporations left after that. And they just swoop in and they take up all that all that vacuum of where these small businesses used to be. The ones that, you know, the, the you and I is used to own or run because you couldn't keep open because the government's forcing you to close your business because of this COVID that we're starting to find out now is 
It's real. It has killed people. But the way they're playing it and the fear-mongering they're using with it has actually probably killed more people than it's helped, especially helped save. So here it comes. Then comes the first forecast. Instead of owning property and the necessities of life, the WEF video declares you'll rent. Well, who would you rent from? Well, probably, probably these big uh, Wall Street corporations that are buying up all these properties that people are foreclosing on because they're getting them on pennies on the dollar. Apparently, whatever you want will be magically delivered by drone. Except meat, apparently, since the video goes on to predict that you'll eat much less meat for the benefit of the planet. Uh, does that sound familiar or anything of the Green New Deal or cow farts and all that stuff? You know, it's causing climate change. That's why they push climate change. Um, and incidentally, as part of its Great Reset agenda, the WEF is, has also been peddling the disgusting notion that you must eat bugs, weeds, and seaweed instead of normal food, all to save the climate from the gas of life, CO2. <laughs> uh, does that any of that sound similarly familiar to North Korea's story I just told you? Like I say, watch that Joe, Joe Rogan experience, uh, 1691, episode 1691. Yonmi, Yonmi Park. I might be butchering that name, but... It was really interesting to get for because that's the thing. They don't just let you out of that country. If you get caught by a guard at the, the border anywhere, it's a shoot to kill order by the government. If any of the police or military catch you trying to get out of that country, it is a shoot to kill order. You do not leave. And people just don't freely come in. Okay, so... The bizarre video was hardly a one-time event. In fact, in a post on the WEF website by Danish parliamentary Ida Aachen, the globalist dream of a world in which no one of the plebs' own property was once again trumpeted. Welcome to the year 2030, Aachen writes. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Sounding like livestock that can talk and forgetting that the farm animals will eventually be slaughtered or sheared. Aachen gushes about how her generous overlords now give her everything she needs for free. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. The WEF peace continues. In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I am not there. Privacy will be a thing of the past, too, Aachen admits. Hmm. Yeah, that don't sound like the uh, the life I want to live in. Oh, you know, I, I got to go to go to work. You know, nobody's home. Yeah, just whoever can come in and use my house. No, thanks. And the, the sad thing is, is there's a lot of people that think this way. That's why I said we got to quit being silent. Start paying attention to bills that are coming through, like this other bipartisan. You start hearing bipartisan anymore, you know it's a boondoggle. Bipartisan uh, 
Uh, I don't even know what the bill was. I don't know what the name of the bill was, but it's that multi or at least a trillion dollars and something infrastructure bill. I haven't even got a chance to even try and look into that because it'll probably just really upset me and I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> All right, so this, this article goes on. Critics blast the plans. For those of us who support free markets, the Great Reset is nothing short of terrifying, argued Justin Haskins with the Heartland Institute. Our current crony capitalist system has many flaws to be sure, but granting more power to the government agents who created that crony system and eroding property rights is the best way f- is not the best way forward. America is the most powerful, prosperous nation precisely because of the very market principles the Great, great Reset supporters loathe, not in spite of them. And I'm going to come back here in just a minute because I'm about out of time on this part of this segment. And I'll finish reading you the rest of this article. All right, let's come back here and finish up this article here. So, uh, now let's see if I was on the right one here. Okay. As word spread about the WEF agenda, there was massive public outrage worldwide and intense scrutiny of the radical statements promoting an end to private property, privacy, and even humanity. Now, even apart on that privacy thing, just look at what big tech is doing right now. I mean, and and how much tech we own in our homes anymore. I mean, our phones, uh, the Alexas, the whatever devices that, I mean, they have these smart devices in everything. And a good majority of us use them. So what's to stop them from, well, and at this point, (laughs) uh, everybody wants to say, no, they're not listening to everything we're saying. Yes, they're listening to everything you're saying. Do you have an Alexa? Do you have an Amazon account? Uh, Facebook? A lot of these other places that if you've ever watched the... Uh, social dilemma. It explains how you are the commodity. It's not the goods you're buying. You are. Your data is. Because the more they know about you, the more they can target ads that you're looking for. Things you might have even just talked about. And next thing you know, you get a creepy ad that's like, hey, I was just talking about you know this certain whatever the heck it was you were talking about and now i'm getting an ad about it that's kind of weird how did that happen it's because your devices are listening to you uh so we've pretty much already gave away a good portion of our privacy and we do it willingly unfortunately (laughs) uh let's see where was i here yes a key element of the great reset according to its backers is the fusion of man and machine. And so the WEF appears to have pulled the English version of its video, though the Spanish one is still up on its YouTube channel. It also put a small disclaimer on the post describing it as a mere scenario showing where we could be heading, intended to start a discussion. No, that's a lie. This is really what they want to do. Despite the half-hearted efforts at damage control, the vision of the globalist elite is becoming clear. In announcing the Great Reset in June, WEF boss Klaus Schwab hinted several times at the enormous scope of the transformation envisioned. 
Every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. He said about it in an article online, in short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Uh, Hence why a lot of these big banks and these big corporations are... uh, Well, what's happening is the big banks that lend money to these big corporations or deal with their money and investments and different things like that. And it it lays it all out on the great, great reset in on the world economic forum that they basically give these corporations an ESG score. Now, if you remember what that was, it was environmental. So their environmental impact or, you know, if they donate to, or if they buy into green goods and green energy and all that stuff, they get a higher ESG score, environmental, social, and governance. And like I say, if you go there, you can get it all firsthand. You don't have to believe the word I'm saying. So the UN, which is openly peddling, is openly peddling the Great Reset. UN boss and longtime socialist bigwig Antonio Guterres was one of the main speakers unveiling the scheme. Has been on the foref- or at the forefront of the war on private property rights for decades. Sometimes the UN, its member regimes, and its agencies even come out and express their hostility to private property rights openly. The prime example came in 1976 when UN Habitat declared war on private land ownership. Quote, land cannot be treated as an ordinary asset controlled by individuals and subject to the pressures and inefficiencies of the market, the UN said in item 10 of its agenda following the UN Habitat 1 summit. Private land ownership is also a principal instrument of accumulation and concentration of wealth and therefore contributes to social injustice, if unchecked. It may become a major obstacle in the planning and implementation of development schemes. Public control of land use is therefore indispensable. Now let's think about that in our own government's control We'll just say control, since supposedly they don't own the land. We do, you know, but they control it. Uh, it's pretty much most of the United States. I mean, if you think BLM land, government, national forest, government, national parks, government, um, with us living in private parts in the middles. So there's really not a whole lot as of this point that we can do other than to say, you know, screw you government. We're going to go take control of this land ourselves. That's why I have a hard time with people that are hunters. So, I I mean, I kind of get it. I'm a hunter as well. That just relish, relish the government taking over property and controlling it, and then telling us, oh, it's, oh, this is your land, but we're gonna, we're gonna just control it, you know, because we can, we can maintain it, you know, and then private people can't buy it up, which, uh, you know, public land is, is nice in a way, but is it really public? I mean, I think we kind of got a taste of that when we had the government shutdowns. What did they start doing to a lot of these 
public places, especially in D.C., yeah, they shut them down. They put barricades up and didn't let you go to them because of their inefficiencies. I mean, it's a lot easier for them to block, barricade those off, but they still, you know, when they when they end up in trouble because they've overplayed their hand and overspent their budget, like they're just voting on again to raise the debt ceiling again, I think. Because... They're not bringing in enough money to pay for the money they're spending going out. But somehow we still have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to give to other countries, some of them which hate our guts and would like to see us disappear from the face of the earth because they don't agree with having a free society. Um, so, I mean, there's a problem that I can see building up from that. Especially if you got people in power like Biden who buys into this stuff. And all this stuff that is happening with COVID, like a lot of these places that are Democrat-ran cities, uh, states, or governors were locking down the states. And then even once they, you know, follow the science, even though when they're actually getting bad numbers while they're having everybody locked down, wearing masks everywhere, social distancing everywhere, uh, working from home, yada, yada, closing down and enforcing the close down of restaurants and small businesses while all these large corporations, Walmart, you know, Home Depot's, all these places like that, you couldn't go to an Ace Hardware, which would sell you the same stuff as, uh, Home Depot kid. So why did that business have to close down, but that other one over there didn't? Because they're going to make these big corporations that are in their back pocket be the only ones left. So if this is all going to... I'd say, I mean, I, I can't say for sure this is really what's going to happen, but if you start looking at a lot of the little things that have been going on, it seems pretty close like it wouldn't take much to make this happen. Of course, the agenda to strip humanity of even basic God-given rights, such as the ability to own property, is not new. Over the last century, well over 100 million people were slaughtered by their own communist and socialist overlord overlords as these regimes fiendishly sought to centralize control over all property and resources in the hands of the elites. In the Western world, some of the most powerful individuals of the last century have been working toward that goal on a global scale, too. In his 1966 book, Tragedy and Hope, Georgetown University historian Carol Quigley describes a shadowy network of individuals behind the scenes and their effort to build a one-world system with themselves in charge. Quigley, a mentor to former President Bill Clinton, said he agreed with most of the goals. He even boasted of being close to the network, which often worked with communists for decades and of having the opportunity to examine their secret documents for a period of years. Then he spilled the beans in the explosive book. The powers, quote, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole, Quigley explained. 
This system was to be controlled in feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at in frequent and private meetings and conferences. Did you listen to that? So this guy, I like to say this is, they've been playing the long game, but I think they're to a point where they want to really ramp it up because realistically, uh, I think even in, in other countries throughout Europe, I mean, those people, you know, when they have to, they'll actually rally out and go protest against stuff, even though they've been stripped of any kinds of weapons to actually fight back against them. If the government decides to roll in the tanks, I mean, just recently, what we've seen in Hong Kong, they used to be free. They, they are now controlled by China. They're not their own little economic system anymore. You didn't see the news really put them, them out in a spotlight. They were more American than half, half of our country is. They were out there, you know, begging for America to come give them support. And our government and pretty much most of our nation just turned a blind eye. It's, oh, well, it's not here. You know, we don't need to worry about it. While they're singing the national anthem, our national anthem, in the streets, out protesting China, taking their freedoms away. But guess what? They don't have any kind of weapons to fight back, because I guarantee you that would have been a different story in Hong Kong when the the state of China, military, police, you know, whatever long arm they had rolled in there, started making people disappear. And who knows what really happened to half them people. As far as we know, they were all hauled out into the jungle somewhere, shot in the head and let the jungle take care of them. But the way everything's going, this is the way we are heading I mean, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to start coming after the guns once again. And not just the AR-15s that everybody's so scared of until they actually start realizing that now they're trying to defund the police. And all these other crazy things they're trying to do that, you know, what? there's actually a criminal element out there that wants to come steal your stuff or take your life. And then people start really realizing, oh, now I get why... These other right-wing nut gun nuts want weapons. And then they start kind of creeping out of the woodwork. Hey, uh, you know, what, what kind of gun do you got? You know, what do you, what do you use for self-protection around the house? Blah, blah, blah. And I am all for that. It's just sad it has to come to this state before they realize the state doesn't give a crap about your life or your property because the state's going to show up after somebody else has came and taken it your life or your property. It's just the cleanup crew and to push some paperwork. It's your own responsibility to protect yourself. And that's why the, the, the founding fathers, regardless if they own slaves or not, however you want to look at them because of that. Even though you're going to ex- exclude the whole rest of the world that was involved in the slave trade as well. Because I'm going to have another episode about racism. And some other things, some other part of history that I, most people, I didn't even really even know about it. I'd never heard about it anywhere. 
But for a lot of my life, I never really paid attention to what was going on in the news. Because, you know, like like the, what is the phrase? Uh, if it bleeds, it leads. That's pretty much what all the news is all the time. It's pretty much depressing. When Trump was in office, it was all about Trump. Now that Trump's gone, most of these networks don't have anything to talk about. So what they're doing is because they need ad revenue, are sensationalizing crap and making stuff up even. Or they'll take a story and chop it up, which makes it seem like something else, even though it could be partially the truth. But if you cut certain words out of even one sentence, it can make it mean a whole different thing. They don't ever go back and, you know, recant, oh, we made a mistake here. We want to clear the air. No, they just move on. But they still leave people that are watching them believing what they said is truth. So here, let's let's. I got a little bit off the beaten path there. Let's get back onto this article. Quigley Quigley's reference to feudalism is key. Under the feudalist system, only the ruling elites, kings, lords, barons, and so on, were permitted to own land and property. The serf class, everyone else, merely rented land, homes, equipment, capital, and so on from their overlords. Whatever their lords demanded, from military service and crops to children, had to be handed over on demand. Oh, that just sounds just like what I just talked about with North Korea. And what this that lady talks about what life was like in North Korea. Otherwise, the serf could be forced off the land he was renting. As government responses, responses to COVID-19 ravaged the middle class while boosting crony mega businesses, such as Amazon, the new surf class is quickly emerging in America. You know, and like even with the uh, the tax cuts, you know, they always want to claim everything the Republicans are doing is the tax cuts, whatever, is only going to help the rich, which is true. It does, but with a small bit that helps the the middle lower class. But usually, the rich do. The rich find a way to profit off of all this crap the government does, one way or the other. I mean, it's like that's. A reason why the well-connected people are filthy rich, if they're, especially if they're well-connected with the government. It's not an even playing field. And the more people start waking up to this and start getting involved, they're just going to keep doing whatever they want. They're starting to get pretty brazen already. I mean, it's like, you know, we're just going to pass this crazy-ass bill that nobody's read. Everybody throws their last-minute little pet projects that need billions of dollars in there. And then you end up with a bloated $1.2 or $3 trillion, air quotes, infrastructure bill. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to find a, a copy of that new one they've got bipartisan support on. So I guarantee you, when this thing rolls out, it's just like that the the rent. Uh, they There was supposedly like $46 billion given out to states to help get to the people that have been affected by the COVID lockdowns or their business, wherever they worked or something, you know, went out of business, whatever the circumstances was that they were supposed to be able to dole this money out to people that needed to pay their rents or their mortgages or whatever that was been affected by COVID $46 billion. 
Could you imagine if they would just give every person in America, you know, say there's 350 million, a million dollars. That's 350 million dollars. That's not even a billion, but there's somewhere there's 46 billion dollars floating around. Where does all this money go? Where is it? Because there's still people defaulting on their loans. There's still, you know, they're still pushing the, oh, well, now the CDC, which is a bureaucratic system. This is what, this is the trick they keep doing and people need to start understanding. Is they keep pushing the buck, not to themselves, the elected officials, off to these bureaucrats that have been appointed, can't get fired to do the dirty work for them. And then, you know, people start wondering why. It's like, well, who do we go to? Who do we go to to try and do anything? Because it's the CDC saying this or that. We have to do this or that. And then, you know, local governments go along with it. So you got to start putting all the, the small pieces together. And then you start seeing the big picture of what it's supposed to look like. So it'll be just a moment, and I'll be right back with the rest of this article. Explain what it means. Okay, so the rest of this article goes on. According to Quigley, the apex of the global feudalist system was to be the bank for international settlements, a scandal-plagued institution that came completely under the control of Adolf Hitler's national, national socialists for a time. Quigley described the BIS as a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. But even the powerful central bank chiefs are not the true power behind the throne, Quigley revealed. Quote, it must not be felt that these heads of the world's chief central banks were themselves substantive powers in world finance. They were not. The Clinton mentor and wannabe member of the global elite explained in his book, Rather, they were the technicians and agents of the dominant investment bankers of their own countries who had raised them up and were perfectly capable of throwing them down. In short, the central bank bosses were mere technocrats serving their own masters. Quigley's observations, along with contemporary realities, involved global elites stashing all their vast wealth in tax-exempt foundations offers powerful evidence that the elites pushing the elimination of private ownership do not intend to surrender their own property. In fact, like the monarchs, barons, and lords of feudal societies past, they intend to centralize control over all property and resources in their own hands. You will own nothing. You will be a serf. They will be your masters. Accomplishing that goal on a worldwide level will require eliminating or discrediting the American system of God-given rights protected by government and thus other WEF predictions, including the United States losing its status as a leading superpower, with a new order featuring a handful of countries that will dominate taking its place. Indeed, the engineering process of displacing America in favor of what globalists and communists call the multipolar world order has been underway for years with help from the American elites. This is accelerating now. Even Western values will be tested to the breaking point, the WEF video says. Another prediction, one that has been made repeatedly by UN agencies and climate alarmists for decades, and one that has consistently been proven wrong, is that massive numbers of people will be displaced by climate change. In fact, one billion people will be moving from third world countries into the dying Western world. 
according to the WEF's predictions. Many of those will be imported to America if the deep state gets its way as part of a concerted effort to fundamentally transform the United States. We'll have to do a better job at welcoming and integrating refugees, the WEF video says, before mentioning a supposed search for alien life. The Great Reset agenda pushed by some of the most powerful organizations in the world is a clear and present danger to the life, liberty, and property of almost every person on the planet. In fact, it is pr practically a declaration of war on America's constitutional republic and the fun fundamental rights of every American. However, defeating the agenda is not impossible. Exposing its architects and their plan will be crucial. Then withdrawing from the UN and the IMF, alongside a restoration of sound money and constitutional protections, can help protect America from these totalitarian schemes. But time is short. And like I say, once you start seeing all the little pieces, this all makes sense. But if we're just going to silently sit here and just complain about it and not push back, it will overtake everything. And then by that time, it'll be too late. So as of right now, we, you know, we still have some freedoms. Uh, but there's, you can see how they're trying to use this pandemic for a test, I think. So more or less like uh, New York right now saying you got to have a vaccine uh, ID or whatever to go to a bar or a restaurant. All these same places that have been hammered by these officials, uh, you know, de Blasio, especially in New York. I mean, I, I just don't understand why these people are putting up with these idiots that they, for the majority, elected. Even if you didn't go vote for them, you still elected them because you didn't vote to offset them. Julie Kelly also has an article as well. Um, it's called Senior, or she's a senior contributor to American Greatness. And we're kind of seeing a dictatorial and political descent on the people that the current administration and the Democrats don't like. And we can make a, a, an argument for that due with the uh, January 6th thing that happened at the Capitol. I mean, how many of them called it one of the, like it was worse than 9-11. And Realistically, there, I mean, we're starting to see what happens. Like, they won't they won't let release any of the videos. Supposedly, there's like 14,000 hours of video from different places around the Capitol. But they won't release any of it. So, they keep you in the dark and just push a narrative. Because a lot of the stuff that was seen right that day... Or, you know, later the next day or something that was released on social media painted a pretty different picture. Like in some instances, police were actually moving the barricades and letting people go up on the Capitol stairs and up towards the Capitol. There was nothing, you know, violent going on in those areas. Do we know there was provocateurs there? Yes. Uh, one of them guys was actually here from Utah that was there. He's been a BLM activist as well. And at their rallies, you know, getting people riled up to do 
things they probably wouldn't normally do. That's what provocateurs do. And let's see, her article here is, um, let's see, it's from, it's on American Thinker. Uh, and it's from June 15th this year. Hundreds are still are incarcerated for being in D.C. on January 6th. Why is the GOP so afraid to stand up for what is right? And that's the problem we're having with the Republican Party. Is they're mainly silent. Or a lot of them that were never Trumpers or didn't like Trump, but they just kind of sat there quietly. They're not saying anything either. Because they did not like Trump and what he was doing. He was bucking their system of getting themselves wealthy and all their little scams that they're doing in Congress. So she's been exposing kind of like most of these people basically at the most were trespassing. Which if you're out on the outside steps and stuff like that and you never even, you didn't break into the building, you didn't cause any kind of damage or whatever like some of the other idiots were doing. But they've caught you on camera somewhere. They're coming after you. They're trying to make an example of you. And it's it's kind of it's one of those things that once you start learning what these people are doing, it's a little bit disturbing because it's like, yeah, you can argue there was more. Uh, I don't know. I think there was like National Guard, cat, you know, way more Capitol Police and stuff when the, all the BLM stuff was going on. So it it begs to question uh, what happened. What was the failure with the Capitol Police that allowed this to happen in the first place? We're super understaffed. It's almost like it was a setup. And like I say, who knows? We may never even know what happened to that day because they're not releasing anything. And like I say, Capitol Police are not uh, subject to a Freedom of Information Act to get any of the paperwork from them for the reports. Uh, I, as far as I understand, they don't have to release any of the, the video either. So they can just make stuff up and you'll never know. So her article goes on. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I'll just start from the top. Julie Kelly at American Greatness has been doing yeoman work, exposing the crimes of the D.C. leftists who have targeted, arrested, and imprisoned hundreds of people who attended President Trump's speech and may have wandered toward or even into the Capitol on January 6th. While there were some bad actors there that day, most likely Antifa BLM interlopers are genuine lunatics. Most of those present present were actually invited into the Capitol building, as some of the videos have shown. Who ordered the Capitol Police to stand down? Probably Pelosi, who very much wanted an incident with which to tar and feather Trump and his supporters, which it has worked very well in their favor. It was possibly a calculated setup. Who else was involved remains to be seen, but as everyone knows by now, that event has been blown so far out of proportion as to no longer resemble at all what actually took place. And there you go again with the media, totally lockstep at almost like word for word what the Democrats are spewing out there. Even though it's complete garbage, they're going to, you know, whatever million of supporters that still watch most of these, you know, CNNs and MSNBCs and stuff, 
they're going to believe it because they're not going to tell them what really happened. All they got to do is say that narrative and these people are going to believe it. Okay, unlike Antifa BLM riots that occurred across the country over the summer of 2020, the incident that day was like a schoolyard scuffle compared to the violent, destructive, and even murderous conflagrations that did hundreds of millions of dollars in damage to numerous cities. People need to be reminded that the left mostly, especially Kamala Harris, Biden, and the left media in its entirety either supported those protests or called them mostly peaceful, which they certainly were not. Kind of like I think it was CNN. Guys doing a report, uh, sitting there talking about how all these BLM riots are mostly peaceful. While in the background, there's literally buildings and automobiles on fire. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's so ridiculous. As for those caught up in the January 6th melee, not one of those who have been locked up, some in solitary confinement, was armed. Not one. The only person killed was Ashley Babbitt, shot to death by a Capitol Police officer. She was not armed. The officer who shot her has yet to be named. Babbitt's family is suing to learn his identity. Curious, since when a criminal is killed by police in the commission of a crime, the officer involved is usually identified and suspended immediately, even if the shooting was righteous. Something is very rotten in Denmark. Tucker Carlson has addressed this ongoing crime. On Sunday night, Mark Levin's always spectacular program, Life, Liberty, and Levin, addressed this untenable situation with Julie Kelly. To listen to them discuss the facts is to realize that, as Dorothy of the Wizard of Oz remarked, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Indeed, the weaponization of all of our federal institutions under the Obama administration transformed this nation in ways few of us could imagine. Those alphabet agencies, by then viciously anti-Trump, kicked into high gear the minute Trump won the 2016 election. Over the next four years, from the Russia collusion hoax to two phony impeachments to January 6th, America became something like Putin's Russia. Biden has got a lot of nerve bringing up political prisoner Alexei Navalny at the G7 when his own administration continues to imprison hundreds of people for the crime of being Trump supporters. Putin critically Navalny. Putin critic Navalny was poisoned and is still imprisoned in one of Russia's notorious labor camps. Those jailed American patriots, many of them veterans, have not yet been poisoned but are being badly mistreated and fed food unfit for consumption. What is happening there is not only indefensible but depraved. Julie Kelly has heard from some of those imprisoned that they are being punished for what was revealed on Mark Levin's Sunday program. Can this be happening in America? It is happening. And I think, like I said at the first of this program, history not only will repeat itself, history is repeating itself. It just might look a little bit different, but it's going to have the same consequences. Given the bare outline of facts above, one has to wonder, where the hell are McConnell, McCarthy, and the rest of the Republicans in Congress? Only Ron Johnson has addressed this ongoing criminal enterprise. Why on earth are the rest of them sitting still for this? Surely they know what a traversity the entire insurrection accusation is. Why has none of them, let alone all of them, held a press conference demanding these people be released on bail? Most of them have not been given trial dates. Most cannot afford lawyers willing to confront the D.C. toxic swamp, which chews up and spits out anyone possessing a code of ethics. But then why are we surprised? Why are Julie Kelly, Mark Levin, and Ron Johnson the only voices shouting out for justice? 
McConnell and McCarthy are apparently frightened to death of addressing any election chicanery. So why would a few hundred patriots in jail rattle their cages? They've not commented on the ballot audits, which may produce some uncomfortable results. What if the Arizona audit proves that Trump won that state? Will the GOP leadership stand up and then demand further investigation? Doubtful. Cowards, all but for the heroes who are not, those with a spine, we all know who they are. Sadly, they are too few in number, but their ranks are growing among those gearing up to challenge the rhino milk toasts. The challengers will win and join our lonely heroes now raging against the D.C. wind. Biden may think the Republican Party is diminished and fractured, but his plan to give away the store to the G7 member nations and surrender America to the drug cartels in China is energizing millions of Americans who are not ready to be citizens of a Maoist communist nation. Some facsimile of author Kostler's Darkness at Noon, many of these Americans were Democrats. Given Biden's pathetic performance at the G7, this quote by H.L. Menchin seems appropriate. On some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last and the White House will be adorned by a downright moron. That day has arrived, but very likely not by the people's heart's desire. Biden is a mere tool of the radical left. He is the witting or unwitting architect of the invasion occurring on the southern border. He has handed complete control of it to the cartels that are raking in millions of dollars in drug and human trafficking money. And he is allowing hundreds of law-abiding Americans to rot in jail for supporting his opponent. Menken, again, the kind of man who wants the government to adopt and enforce his ideas is always the kind of man whose ideas are idiotic. Please, complacent GOP, go to bat for those people in the D.C. version of a Soviet labor camp. Rescue them. Stand and deliver. Now is the time. But realistically, that's the problem with the Republican Party, and that's why they keep getting their butts kicked all the time, is because it's, it's a money scam for the most part. I mean, this being a representative of your state was supposed to be uh, you volunteered, to, you know, you was elected to do it, but you wanted to go do it. It wasn't meant to be a job. It was public service. And somewhere down the line, you know, they started realizing that, hey, we, you know, maybe we can talk the American people into letting us pay ourselves. Because we got to be here in Washington a lot, you know, to, to make laws that basically, and what people don't understand, restrict your freedoms. They don't go in there and look through the books and take laws out. They just keep adding to them. Which most people don't think about it, that they still pass. Even, even when the news is saying, oh, they, you know, this is a lame duck session or whatever. They're not doing anything. They're not doing anything on the main bills that the news is sitting there portraying as, oh, they need to fix this and they need to fix that. Uh, when was the last time our government has fixed anything? I mean, even, even this podcast, by me mentioning anything about the government, you know, say anything bad about the government, I'm a dissenter. And that's exactly in China or North Korea and probably a few different Middle Eastern countries, uh, I would be a target for them to make disappear. So that's what I'm saying. we got to start standing up right now for 
our freedoms. Because if not, uh, you can see that pretty much for the majority of it right now, they are just doing whatever they want and nobody's standing up to them. And they're doing it states and cities right now, mostly Democrat ran. They can fear monger you into believing that this virus is going to just keep mutating if you don't take this stupid vaccine that seems to be more and more like it's not really working as good as they thought it was going to. But they're not going to tell you that. It's got to be independent doctors and different people that are actually bringing this news out and letting you know what real science and stuff is, not political science, not political doctoring of the truth. Uh, actually, there's still one more. Okay. Yeah, there's one more here. Uh, an article in the, oh, what is it here? Uh, New York Post. So this one just kind of goes over how corporations are buying up houses, robbing families of the American dream. It's from July 18th of last year. So this has been going for a while. One morning in 2012, Phoenix real estate developer Jeff Jacobs was playing golf when he got a surprising phone call. One of his employees trying to bid on a house they wanted at auction told them the price had reached their agreed-upon ceiling of $85,000, a rare occurrence since they usually snagged the homes they wanted without competition. Jacobs told his employee to go up to $87,000, but the price kept rising. The price jumped to $90,000, then $95,000. The home wound up selling for about $100,000 writes Ryan's December in his new book, Underwater, How Our American Dream of Homeownership Became a Nightmare. Jacobs was bewildered. Who was this aggressive bidder? By the end of the day, he had a name. The bidder was from an outfit called Invitation Homes. Invitation Homes, it turned out, was owned by Blackstone Group, the world's largest real estate investor. Created after a company called Treehouse Group was folded into Blackstone, then renamed in 2012. Invitation Homes was a $10 billion was on a $10 billion spree purchasing 150 million worth of houses per week. Like I say this is how they're doing it. This is how this crazy agenda is working. At an auction in Sacramento, a house flipper named Ryan Heck was bewildered by a bidder who bought every house that hit the block. December writes noting that the bidder went $1 over every other bid until the other bidders conceded. Neither Heck nor other regular regulars recognized the dollar over guy. It turned out he was with an out-of-town concern called Treehouse and had instructions to buy everything that costs less than what it would cost to build a similar house. Every house auctioned that day fit the bill. Moving forward, Heck tried to compete, sometimes even peeking over other bidders' shoulders to run dollar over routine on them, but he was outmatched. He had a handful of cashier's checks, December writes. The new guys had duffel bags full. Underwater describes how, in the wake of 2008 financial crisis, corporations began buying suburban houses en masse and then renting them out, often for more than residents would have otherwise paid in rent or mortgage. This has become so common that while the phenomenon didn't exist a decade ago, corporations bought one out of every 10 suburban homes sold in 2018. Corporate homeownerships can not only subject tenants to higher living costs, but often destroys their ability to buy these homes themselves as companies pay top dollar to take them off the market. As a result, America is quickly becoming a renter nation. You will own nothing and like it.
Between 2006 and 2016, when the homeownership rate fell to its lowest level in 50 years, the number of renters grew by about a quarter, December writes. While he notes that companies around 300,000 U.S. homes, so far, this is just the tip of the iceberg, as they're wealthy enough to buy and tech-savvy enough to manage multiples more with ruthless efficiency. These companies aren't just depriving potential homeowners of a place to call their own, he writes. They're destroying the ability of thousands of middle-class Americans families to accumulate wealth. Home price appreciation has historically been how Americans achieve financial prosperity, December writes. Unlike stocks and bonds, ownerships of which is concentrated at the top, houses are widely held. Roughly half of housing wealth is owned by Americans' middle class. The bonanza really took off in 2011 when Morgan Stanley issued a report called a Rentership Society with over 1.6 million foreclosed homes in the United States and more on the way, the report forecast. A surge in the number of renters and a potentially massive opportunity for investors to convert the glut of repossessed homes into rental properties. Uh, Here in Utah, in general, there are rentals, uh, condos, um, multi-level uh, I don't know what they're called exactly, but basically just great big buildings with tons of units in them. And they're going up everywhere. Salt Lake County, Utah County, everywhere through the main corridor. So you can kind of see, you know, and that, that costs a lot of money. So it, it's not just a regular Joe Blow that's that's building all these to rent out. So, America's investment managers were all in. By 2012, more than $1 billion had been raised by investors for the purpose of doing just that. Some of the biggest names in finance, finance were hoarding houses. So, you can kind of see how they're doing this as far as, you know, making that happen. Any of these new construction places, they're the ones that are financing and building them. For these younger kids coming up that are just going to rent for a little while, but then as the rents start creeping up, and they don't, if they don't have any credit, you know, they're they're not going to be able to go out and purchase a house because these houses now are going up in price so much that it's pricing them out, and they get stuck in renting. So this is going to be a big problem. It might not be too bad right now, but. Like I say, they've got the banks and the capital to go out there and basically crush everybody else and buy up everything. So you you will be forced to be a renter. So here, uh, this will be the end of this segment. I got one more to go, and it should be a shorter one, so I'll get right to it here just in a moment. All right, that's to, to end this uh, podcast. I'm just going to go over, I think this guy's name was, uh, so this is from the Stanton paper that was presented at the State Department in 1996, shortly after the Rwandan genocide, but it also analyzes the process in the Holocaust, the Cambodian genocide and other genocides. The preventive measures suggested that those that the, or are those that the United States national governments and United Nations could implement or influence other governments to implement. So these are 10 stages. Um, so number uh, number one, now see if any of these have any similar similarities to what's going on here in the States right now, or possibly even other countries. 
Stage number one, classification. People are divided into them and us. Preventive measures are the main preventive measure at this early stage is to develop universalistic institutions that transcend divisions. Uh, so this is a chart I'm reading off of. Uh, this is on Wikipedia. I mean, you can look it up if you want to, uh, I guess, see it firsthand. Uh, it's the 10 stages of genocide. So I'll just keep going down the, the thing here. Number two, symbolization. When combined with hatred, symbols may be forced upon unwilling members of pariah groups. Sound familiar? Number three, discrimination. Law or cultural power excludes groups from full civil rights. Segregation or apartheid laws, denial of voting rights. Four, dehumanization. One group denies the humanity of the other group. Members of it are equated with animals, vermin, insects, or diseases. Number five, organization. Genocide is always organized. Special army units or militias are often trained and armed. Polarization. Hate groups broadcast polarizing propaganda. 7. Preparation. Mass killing is planned. Victims are identified and separated because of their ethnic or religious identity. Now this has happened before in American history. Um, Probably the most famous one that maybe a lot of people don't even know was after World War II started that the president of the time decided it, or, you know, who knows, powers to be of the time decided it was in the, the nation's best interest to round up the Japanese Americans and put them in camps. Yeah, here in the United States, that happened. Persecution, number eight. Expropriation, forced displacement, ghettos, concentration camps. Number nine, extermination. It is extermination to the killers because they do not believe their victims to be fully human. And number ten, denial. The perpetrators deny that they committed any crimes. So, I mean, like I say, burn that into your brain and start thinking of different things that are going on or have gone on that are still going on that really fit into a lot of these 10 stages. It's it's starting to look a little bit eerie. But like I say, I look at it like this. If you've got kids, you you know the reference here, but the in a bug's life, the grasshoppers, you know, they make the ants collect this food and then they come in towards fall, you know, before winter, steal all their food. But they, the main grasshopper knows that if he's got any dissenters in the ants, that they need to go. Because if they all figure out there's more of them than there are grasshoppers, they'll rise up and fight back. And it's no different to us in real life. So anyways, that's pretty much all I got for today. Uh, I'm going to do another little history lesson probably in the next one that kind of will tie in with this one. Um, uh, uh, something I didn't even know was actually the genocide from the Germans uh, 
in Africa. So I think it happened, though, in the early 1900s, so before kind of really anything happened with the wars. Uh, but they were they were doing a lot of, you know, dirty stuff in Africa that well, I think a lot of people didn't even know about. So anyways, it'll be kind of a, a, it's a huge article to read through, so it'll probably be its own, just one article going through all this stuff. But that'll be the next one. So thanks everybody for listening, putting up with uh, me yakking your ear off for the most part. Hopefully this stuff is, you know, useful information. I know it takes a lot of time just for me to, read through and find articles and stuff. And uh, if you don't have Anchor, this podcast is on, I think, Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify, a bunch of other ones. You can probably just go to whoever you listen to podcasts, uh, look up The Nielsen Show. My Ugly Mug will be the main pitcher. And if you want to, uh, I think there's a link uh, my page on Instagram, I usually link it up there of all of my podcasts as well. Uh, my Facebook, The Nielsen Show page, and I don't know where else I have it. I say, this is what happens when rednecks get a microphone. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Have a good day.